Amen. Good morning, friends. Uh, what a gift to see you all. So good to be back. For those of you who are new, my name is Rich. I work here, and uh, it is wonderful to be back. If you're watching online, my name is Rich Velotis. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I am so grateful for a culture uh, in our church that allows space for our pastoral team to get summer breaks and summer rest, and it's been a good few weeks away with my family, and I'm just so glad to be back in worship and excited for a new ministry year that usually kicks off uh, in the month of September. And before I get into my message today, I just want to give a shout out. For the last couple of weeks, we've had some wonderful messages preached from our pastoral team, for whether it's Pastor Sharon, Dr. Ron Walborn, uh, Pastor Andre, or Pastor Shauna. So let's just give it up for them and just... Wonderful teaching ministry. And I'm just glad to add to uh, what they have been sharing the last uh, few weeks. Uh, today we're starting a new series. It's going to be about seven weeks long, focusing on a particular portion of the book of Revelation. Uh, words that Jesus speaks to seven churches in that book. And words that I believe the church needs in our day, our congregation needs as well as our individual lives. We need to hear the words that Jesus speaks. And the ways that we are going to frame this series is in really two words. Jesus offers the church's words of consolation and words of confrontation. Consolation and confrontation. And we need both of those words if we're going to be faithful to who Jesus has called us to be. Now, the reality is in our lives, many of us uh, love the God of consolation, but don't have room for a God of confrontation. And some of us understand only the God of confrontation, but don't have not been in relationship with the God of consolation. And we want to do is what we want to do is hold on to this dynamic tension that Jesus offers words of confrontation as well as consolation. And we're going to find that in a few chapters here in the book of Revelation. Now, before we actually read our text, a couple of words as it relates to this book is uh, in order because this book is perhaps the most misunderstood, misapplied, confusing, and because of that, the most dangerous book in the Bible. There are all kinds of metaphors, images, symbols that can be very difficult to interpret, which is why we need the work of biblical scholars who have been working on this for, for centuries to understand really what's going on uh, in this remarkable book. But I do want to say a couple of things about it before we get into our text. The first thing is that the book of Revelation is prophetic literature, prophetic literature. That is to say that it tells us essentially what the future holds, but not just what the future holds, who holds the future. It's prophetic literature meant to encourage the church in the midst of a world that is uh, oppressing them, particularly in the book of Revelation. Secondly, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic. And don't be afraid by that word apocalyptic, apocalypse. Really what it means is to unveil. If you've been to Broadway, when the, when the curtains go up and the show starts, that's an apocalypse. It's a revealing of what was happening behind the scenes. And what we find in the book of Revelation is that when the curtains are pulled back, we get a vision that Jesus Christ is active and alive and moving, even though the world seems to think 
otherwise. And so it's apocalyptic in that it reveals, and we'll find uh, that to be true in the passages that we read. And then thirdly, uh, the book of Revelation is a letter that was sent to different churches to encourage them. A letter of encouragement for the church. And so we get to eavesdrop into what Jesus spoke to John for the first seven churches in the book of Revelation. But at the same time, we get to hear invitations from our Lord uh, to us this day. And so just to be clear, we're not going to be predicting the end of the world during the series, okay? Uh, we're not going to dive into 666, which don't be afraid of that number. Uh, we're not going to identify the Antichrist, who, by the way, is not the Pope. Uh, and so um, let's just correct our theology already here. Uh, we're not going to get into all those things. At some point, we might. Uh, but we're going to focus on the seven uh, churches that Jesus gives his attention to. And so with that said, we're going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. You can follow on the screen uh, in your Bible, hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Very quickly, stars is referring to uh, messengers, or what scholars would say, the pastor, the leader of the church, and the lampstands actually refer to the churches. So just before we get confused here, uh, lampstands, churches, stars is the bishop, the leader, the pastor. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's a good place to end, but Jesus continues. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But if you have, but you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Quick pause here. The Nicolaitans, scholars know very little about the Nicolaitans, so we're not going to spend much time theorizing what they are. Maybe they're connected with Nickelodeon. I don't know. Uh, but we're not going to get into the Nicolaitans whatsoever because there's not much we know about them. Verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the ways your spirit is here. Now, Lord, give us eyes to hear, ears to hear, and a heart to receive uh, what you want us uh, to receive, Lord. And so uh, we offer this time to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. When I read the words of Jesus in this part of Revelation, he does something that thousands of years later has been picked up by organizations picked up by people uh, in, in the academy, picked up by people who love to talk about sociology and the nature of relationships. Jesus does something 2,000 years ago that we're just catching up on now. What we find in Jesus is a way of balancing uh, a praise uh, as well as criticism or critique. It's a praise to criticism ratio that we find here in Jesus. 
I was reading a Harvard Business Review article that talked about the ideal praise to criticism ratio, and they've discovered in efficient workplaces and healthy uh, school settings that the ideal ratio of, of praise to criticism is six to one, six to one. That is, for every one criticism that you hear from someone, every one critique, that you get six words of affirmation, six positive words that's spoken before you actually get to your part of critique. And imagine how our parenting would change if we started with six words of affirmation, and not just six words of affirmation in the moment before you get to what you want to get to. You know, you want to critique your kid, and you're like, you know, let me think of six quick things real quick so I can just get to the meat of the stuff of really what I want to talk about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a life that is marked by uh, affirmation, a life that's marked by encouragement, a life that's marked by highlighting the good that someone's doing, and then addressing the areas of growth, addressing the areas of concern, addressing areas for critique. And so what we find in Jesus is when he speaks to the church, particularly in Ephesus and, and so on, that he has numbers of uh, uh, words of affirmation before he speaks his words of critique. And what Jesus wants to do in us and through us and for us throughout this series is point out and highlight the good stuff that we are giving ourselves to. But at the same time, Jesus wants to confront us and address some areas that might need some correction. And that's what we find here in the first uh, and second chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, I mentioned the book of Revelation is one of the most, if not mis most misunderstood, book in the Bible. And part of the confusion uh, emerges from the way we see the book of Revelation. We often see it as a handbook to connect the dots of what's happening in our society. And so you watch cable news, you watch what's happening in different parts of the world, and then you read it like a map to go, oh, this is what's happening, and that's what's happening, and the end of the world is going to happen by this particular date. Many people tend to be so extreme and superstitious in reading this book. But instead of Revelation being used to predict the end of the world, the book of Revelation is about telling us what's happening behind the scenes. What's unfolding behind the scenes. And what we find in the book of Revelation over and over again is the truth that no matter what's happening in the world, Jesus is alive. No matter what's happening in your life, Jesus is present. No matter what's happening throughout society, Jesus is here. And so it's important to get a grasp as to who this Jesus is who's speaking to the churches. And to that end, what I want to do is look at a few verses in chapter 1 to give us a sense as to the context and what's happening before we hear the words that Jesus speaks to the church in Revelation chapter 2. The first thing we see uh, in Revelation 1 is that these words, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must take place. The first thing we must note is that the book of Revelation is from Jesus and about Jesus. From Jesus and about Jesus. Whenever we lose our way in thinking, oh, the Re book of Revelation is about this or this country or that political leader or this person, we've already missed the mark. The book of Revelation is from Jesus Christ 
And it is about Jesus Christ. And so it says it's about Christ, it's from Christ. And then hear these words beginning in verse number 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before the thr his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, this is who this is about. And then John begins to talk, the one in first person, the one who Christ revealed this revelation to, the apostle John. And so, verse 10, John says, On the Lord's day, on a Sunday, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches of to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like a bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And John says these words, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John gets this revelation of Jesus and sees him in all of his glory and basically passes out. And then Jesus, it says, placed his hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. The Jesus who shows up in the book of Revelation is not the same Jesus John was who saw and ate with. The Jesus who shows up in the book of Revelation does not look like the Jesus that John ministered with. The Jesus who shows up in the book of Revelation does not look like the Jesus that was crucified on that cross. The Jesus who shows up in the book of Revelation does not look like the Jesus, the picture that's hanging in so many homes all around uh, this country and around this world. Which, I, I, he doesn't look like this. Nice hair, uh, but, he, but he doesn't look like this here. The Jesus who shows up in the book of Revelation is pure radiance, pure glory, pure authority, pure power, pure love. This is who shows up in the book of Revelation, and this is who we are meant to call to mind when we think about praying to Jesus. The one who is pure glory, the one who is pure radiance. Now, I've been watching uh, the new Lord of the Rings series. I love Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Amen. And because of that, 
I've been watching the old Lord of the Rings movies, which I've watched for many, many years, and I can't get enough of it. And there's a scene in Lord of the Rings uh, that reminds me of this passage uh, in Revelation. Uh, it, it circles around this guy named Gandalf, Gandalf the Grey, which, a wonderful man, Gandalf the Grey. And, and, and Gandalf is this powerful wizard, and, and one day uh, he battles this, this, this demon creature, and in the battle he goes down really to the center of, uh, of, of the earth. And as he's battling the demon, destroying the demon, uh, by the end of the battle, uh, 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 he dies. He, he, he dies. He had 30 years to uh, watch this. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and, and the book has been out for decades. And, and, and so uh, Gandalf the Grey uh, uh, succumbs in the, in, the battle, in the battle. But the story doesn't end there. Because a few days later, he comes back to life. Does that sound familiar? He comes back to life. And when Gandalf shows up this time, he's no longer Gandalf the Grey. He's Gandalf the White. And when he reveals himself to his friend, he's pure light, glory, radiant. And his friends can't even look at the vision that is in front of them, and then he steps forward and they see who it is. And when they see it, it's now Gandalf, but in a different form, as it were, they bow at him. This is what's happening in the book of Revelation. This is where Tolkien got it from. He got, he got it from Jesus. That Jesus is the radiant one. Amen. That Jesus is the glorified one. That Jesus is the one who holds all authority in his hand. And the question is, why is this important to highlight? Well, John is letting the reader know and letting us know that in a dangerous world, in a hostile world, in an uncertain world, in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, in the midst of difficulty, we are in relationship with the Almighty One. We are in the relationship with the One who is pure glory. We are in relationship with the One who is pure radiance. We are in relationship and therefore have access to the power of the Almighty who is with us. And so be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Whatever you're facing this day, whatever troubles, whatever pain, whatever heartache, you have a God who is pure light, pure power, pure love, who is in your corner. Amen. This is the Jesus who shows up. And it is this Jesus who speaks to the churches. And so he tells John, write these words down, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Right, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. It's a beautiful image for leaders that Jesus holds us, holding the seven stars. But what I want to emphasize here is what it says, he walks among the seven golden lampstands, which is to say that Jesus Christ, right at this moment is walking among us. Right this, right this very moment, our Lord Jesus Christ is moving among us. Right this moment, he is going down every aisle, moving down every row, 
looking at every heart, our Lord Jesus Christ is with us. Our Lord Jesus Christ is here. And when I think about that image of him walking among the seven golden lampstands, a few images come to mind. As a parent, there have been times when I have had to take our children to the emergency room in the hospital. And taking them to the emergency room, which led to like an overnight stay or a few nights in which we were at the hospital. Moments of great anxiety, moments of great fear. And there were just times when we're waiting for an update, waiting for a report, waiting to figure out what's the prognosis, what's the treatment, that I desperately wanted to hear from the doctor. I love nurses, I love medical staff. The work that they do is absolutely amazing. But I, I, but I want the person who's responsible here. I want the person who, who's really going to identify the path towards wholeness and healing. And so I'd ask, is the doctor here yet? And they said, the doctor is not on the floor yet. Okay, when's the doctor coming on the floor? I don't know when the doctor's coming on the floor. And then to hear the moment when they say, the doctor's walking the floor right now. And the level of relief, the level of, we got some answers coming here. The level of, there's someone now who's going to be present in a way that I need. When Jesus is walking through the church, he's walking like a doctor. He's the healer. He understands the prognosis. He understands the plan of, of treatment. And right now, our Lord Jesus Christ is walking among us. This is why when we gather together as the people of God, whether in small groups, whether in worship in this way, we open ourselves up to the presence of Jesus in ways that we cannot when we are alone. This is why we need one another. Because Jesus has a unique expression of his presence as he walks through the churches. I also think another image that comes to mind is, is how a karate instructor uh, tends to help their student. Uh, Nathan just started uh, uh, karate a few months ago, and I've been watching the sensei that as the kids start doing their punches and everything, the sensei, you know, walks through the kid, uh, through the crowd. They're helping the kids have their right form. And we need this, this kind of sensei. Show the image that we need someone like this. That, yeah, someone like this. That, it's, it's helping there. We need a teacher. I asked Karis, do you know who Mr. Miyagi is? She said, I don't know. I said, I have failed you. I, I, I have failed you as a parent. I have failed you as a parent. And, and when I've been watching uh, Nathan and his friends, you know, when the, when the teacher says punch and they kick, he goes, I asked you to punch. I didn't ask you to kick. I see him uh, helping with the form, punch this way. That's how our Lord Jesus Christ is among us right now. Looking at the areas where our form might be off and our formation might be off. Looking at areas of, of, you're doing it this way, but let me invite you to do it that way. Our Lord Jesus Christ is walking among us right this moment. And as he walks among us, he has words for us. The first words that Jesus speaks are words of consolation, words of affirmation, words of encouragement. Look at what he says. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. One of the saddest and most disappointing times in life are the moments when we exhibit hard work and no one notices. 
Have you ever been in the workplace and you've been working hard and the boss doesn't notice? Working hard in the home and the kids don't notice. You wash the dishes and no one notices that there were once dishes in the sink and now they just disappeared. And because no one notices, you go, <clears throat> just want to let you know that there were dishes here and they're clean now. You, you, can I get a witness here? And, and you, you, you work hard and no one notices. You put in extra work and no one notices. But I love that our Lord Jesus Christ notices. He sees your hard work. He sees your perseverance. He sees your discipline. He sees your good deeds, and he calls it out. He says, I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. He says, I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. Let me just pause here for a second because some of you are just like, yeah, those wicked people over there, I can't tolerate. Let's get clear here. When Jesus says wicked people, he's not talking about people that we disagree with. Somebody say amen, all right? He's not talking about those people. Specifically here, Jesus is talking about people who claim to be apostles, but they're false apostles. People who are perhaps preaching a false gospel or preaching the gospel in a false way for personal gain. And so these people in Ephesus, they are people who love truth, people who love sound theology, people who love good doctrine. Jesus says, I love that you're doing all of these things. These things are absolutely wonderful, good noble they're serving the poor the church at ephesus probably had a cdc they have a lot going on for them and you would think this is a great time to end the message this is a great time to end the letter jesus highlights all the good and noble things that they do and then our lord jesus says these words yet i hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first. I hold this, those words there, I, I think are really important. I hold this against you. It's often the case that we worship, and from this pulpit and platform, you're going to hear the love of God, the grace of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the generosity of God, the patience of God. You've been hearing that for years, and at the same time, what we need to hear are these words as well. Do we worship a God that can hold things against us? Or are we above that? Do we worship a God who says there's certain areas in your life that we need to talk about? Or do we just worship the God of pure compassion, pure grace, but not truth? Jesus here, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Some translations read, you have forsaken your first love. Another translation says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, pay attention to this. They have great deeds. They are hardworking. They are persevering. They have good theology. Jesus says, you're doing all of that stuff, but they are lacking love. How is this possible that they have good deeds and all these things but they are lacking love well it seems as if they fell into a common religious trap they believe that if they just did the good stuff God would be totally pleased with them 
whether it came from a deep place of love or not. In short, they related to God in the way they wanted to relate to God, not the way God asked them or commanded them to relate to him. I understand this. Some of you have read like the five love languages, things along those lines, the various ways that we give love and receive love. And my uh, tendency of giving love is often through acts of service. In my relationship with Rosie, that's probably the primary way that I give love, acts of service. I'll, I'll go grocery shopping, honey. I'll wash it. I'll, 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 do, I'll do it all. And, and, and Rosie loves that. But the way that Rosie loves to receive love primarily is through quality time. And so I'm doing all the stuff. Sweeping and stuff. I'm doing it all. And she's most certainly grateful. But then she's like, can, can, you, can you just sit down with me? Can you just be with me? And I got to do something else today. I got to do something else. In short, I'm determining how I think she should be loved. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is saying, I'm glad you're doing all that stuff. But you're missing out an important ingredient of this relationship. That it is not just based on externals. There's something on the inside that I want you to pay attention to. And it is love. And this is a word for the church. The church, our church, our lives, the church around the world. That we can do a whole lot of things that seem to be good, but not do it with love. And what the world needs now <laughs> is love. Sweet love. Some of you know about that. It's love. Jesus says, you got everything right here on the surface, but you're missing something really important. Now, at one time, these Ephesians, this church, had great love. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24, when Paul writes about them, Paul says, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. There was a time in the life of this community that they had undying love. But something has happened, and Jesus highlights something that is terrifying to hear. And it is this, that good deeds without great love equals a fallen life. Good deeds without great love in the economy of the kingdom of God is a fallen life. And so Jesus is actually trying to get them to pay attention to something deeper. He, he says to them, consider how far you have fallen. Consider how far you have fallen. Now, the question I've been asking myself, and Rosie and I had a long conversation last night as it related to this, was, was if they're doing good deeds, serving the poor, all persevering, and if it wasn't flowing out of the motivation of love. What motivated them to do these good deeds? And this is the question I need to ask myself, and I, I want to invite you to ask of yourselves. And as I think about it, I think of three potential motivations that fuel their good deeds. The first was, they did good deeds perhaps out of obligation. Out of obligation. We have to do it. I have to do it. And, and there was no love that flowed out of it. Have you ever done something out of obligation that your heart wasn't in it? 
and you just did it. That's going to happen from time to time, but when your entire life is marked by doing things out of obligation and not love, good deeds out of obligation leads to resentment. And we're going to be resentful for all the good things. This is the problem of the elder brother in the prodigal son story. I've done all the good stuff, but I've done it out of obligation, not love. And for some of us, we've been doing things out of obligation. Secondly, perhaps their motivation was not love. Their motivation was, it was just, they were just self-centered. And you and I know what it's like to do good things, but at the end of the day, you're doing it so that you can be spotlighted. You can be highlighted. This is often the nature of social media. This is an ongoing struggle I have. Why am I doing this? Why am I saying these words? Do I really want to do it to help people and love people? Or do I want to have the spotlight on me? And we all have to struggle with this. But perhaps they were doing things and centered themselves. Or it's because thirdly, they had good deeds but paid no attention to their relationship with God. And so they did the stuff but did not have any intimacy with God. And Jesus says, if this is, because this is your reality, consider, think about the ways and how far you have fallen. And then our Lord Jesus gives them a command. He gives us a command. He says, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent, turn around, and do the things you did at first. Jesus, it's like Jesus is saying, do you remember how it used to be? Do you remember how we used to connect? Do you remember the intimacy that we had, that our lives together were so joined, and then you did things out of our intimacy? out of communion, out of our shared life together? Do, 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 you, rem, do you remember the time? Uh, I, I got all these songs in my mind right now. Do, do you remember the time? Can I talk to married couples for a second here? Do, do, do you remember the time when you first started dating and, and how things were different, how, 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 how you were motivated by, by, by a delightful preoccupation. When, when, when you got home and you, and you got on the phone and you made a phone call and, and, and you didn't have the smartphones and, and there was a wire attached to it and, and you went from one room to the next and closed the door and, and, and had a conversation with your beloved and, and, and said, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, no, you hang up, no, 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 you hang up and, and, and you're just listening to each other breathing on the phone for hours on hand and it took so someone in the house to say get off the phone and then hang up you remember that for those of you uninitiated uh, we'll have a seminar about how things used to be uh, a few decades ago do you remember how it used to be I, I was thinking about this because uh, I remember the first true date that Rosie and I had in 2003. 2003, December 6th, it was her birthday. We had started dating uh, just a few weeks before, and it was her birthday. And, and on her birthday, December 6th, 2003, uh, it was a crazy storm in the city. And I verified this yesterday. I went on weather.com and verified the weather on December 6, 2003, and there were 15 to 18 inches of snow that hit our city. 
Now, I had plans to take Rosie to Broadway, to the Broadway show and to the Olive Garden. Okay, that, that was my, my one-two combination. <laughs> Big spender. And so, uh, 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 we're going to watch it. We bought the tickets. I bought the tickets. And then the snow starts coming down. I live in Brooklyn. She lives in Long Island. I'm thinking, how are we going to do this? Are we going to cancel? No way are we going to cancel. I just started dating the girl. And so, and so I get on the Bell Parkway in this storm. There are cars on the road doing 360s on the Bell Parkway. I'm driving two miles an hour. I'm going to get to this girl no matter what. I'm doing 360s on the Belt Parkway. I'm going to get to this girl no matter what. And I got to her. We went on the Long Island Railroad. I had cute shoes on that did not match the weather for that day. But I was looking good. And, and, and my feet were frostbitten and all that. But, but I was feeling good. And we had a good time. The things I used to do before, now it's a little drizzle. I'm like, honey, I think you need to pick an Uber, baby. I think, I think you need an Uber, honey. Uh, you know. I'm just kidding. Uh, 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 Jesus is saying, do, do you remember how it used to be? The things you did, the life that flowed. I think when I became a Christian, when I became a follower of Jesus, I was smitten by Jesus. His love had kissed my soul. And I just wanted to be anywhere Jesus was, in prayer, in worship. I went to every service my church offered. Sunday service, I was there. Sunday school, I was there. Men's ministry, I was there. Women's service, I was there. I, I, I showed up everywhere. Can I sit in the back? I, I won't bother anyone. I just want to be here. Something had happened deep down in my soul. The time I spent in prayer, the time I spent pouring over Holy Scripture, the time I, set, I spent saying, Lord, purify my heart. Lord, may I love you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, do the things you used to do before. The question then becomes this for us. What have you done in the past that has kindled God's love? What have you given yourself to that the Holy Spirit animated the flame of love towards God and towards our neighbor? And the invitation that Jesus has for us is to repent, to turn around and do the things you did before. Which is why one of the great prayers we can pray on this Sunday and throughout the course of this week is, Lord, would you give me that love? Holy Spirit, pour that love into my heart. Holy Spirit, kindle the fire, the flame that was once in me. Make me come alive once again. May I be about Jesus, Jesus alone. And I believe as we're in this series and as we hear the words of our Lord Jesus, that is his desire for us. And Jesus says some very stern and, and some harsh words towards the end. He says, if you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. But whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says, there is a remarkable destiny and destination I have for you. 
a beautiful reward. You, you get to feast on the tree of life. And it is almost as if, this is, this is how I'm thinking about it, as we offer ourselves to Jesus, as we invite the Holy Spirit to kindle in our hearts a flame of love, it's almost as if we even get a sneak preview of what it is to taste the tree of life. That right this very moment, your life can experience communion with God. Right this very moment, your life can experience the kind of eternal life that, that is for those who turn to Jesus. That right this very moment, you can experience the abundance of God's life. And the invitation for us is that we would open ourselves up to God in a fresh way to kindle the love we had at first. Love for God and love for our neighbor. I want to invite our worship team to come forward and I want to ask you, what are the things you've done before? Where has love emerged in your life? In ways that you knew, I'm not working this up. This is God. What are the practices, the disciplines, the relationships, the commitments, the heart that at one point maybe so identified your life with Christ? And Jesus says, hear these words. He says, that's, just, that's not just a one-season thing. Lots of people have this kindling of love and the beginning of a relationship and then it's just all downhill from there. But Jesus says you can live your entire life in this way. You can live in love in this way, not just for a season, but for your entire life. Isn't that what you desire? Isn't that what your soul is yearning for? Well, let's invite the Holy Spirit to do that inside of us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is so easy for us to go down the road of obligation, spotlighting ourselves, disconnecting what we do for you from our love for you. But this day, Holy Spirit, would you kindle in us love, love for God and love for our neighbor. And Lord, this is a work of your grace, so the only thing we can do is open ourselves up to you and cry out, do it in me again, Lord. Or for those of us who are here who've never experienced that, Lord, would you do it for the first time? And would you help to sustain that love? Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the ways you walk among us, the ways that you are near for your words of confrontation and your words of consolation. And may we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying this day. We sing to you now words of worship, words of praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's all stand, let's sing together. short we wander far from your ways give us a oh lord 
right. One of the ways that the love of God is often kindled in our hearts is as we receive prayer from our sisters and brothers. When words are spoken, words of encouragement, words of grace, words of compassion, words of truth are spoken over us in intercession, something often comes alive in us. And it's a gift that God gives us to kindle love. The very simple receiving of prayer. And so maybe you came into church today 
maybe you came to church today out of obligation. I had to do it. And maybe as I was preaching, something in your heart shifted to, Lord, I want to do it. Help me to want to do it. Help me to desire it. And if you find yourself in that place today, we would love to pray for whatever need that you have. Maybe you came into this church today, maybe you're watching online, and you've never tasted of the love of God. Maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus. Never said yes to submitting your life to him. But something inside of you, you realize that the Jesus we're talking about is not the Jesus who just walked among people. It's the Jesus who is full glory, the radiant one, the almighty one. And today you're saying, I want to submit my life under his rule, under his life. One of our prayer team members would love to help you take the next step in your journey. Or you can also text the phrase, yes to Jesus, to that number on the screen, whether you're watching online or in here, 718-424-0122. One of our pastors would love to follow up with you and just help you take the next step in your journey with Jesus. And so if you're sensing a tug in your soul, it might be Jesus just knocking on the door and saying, would you take the next step towards me? I have life and abundance and joy for you. At the end of our service, we have a sermon discussion time. There's a link online. So for those of you who want to just discuss this sermon for about 30 minutes with one of our pastors, feel free to click on that link. And it's a great place to connect. So please uh, take advantage of that. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Right this moment, our Lord Jesus Christ is walking through every row, every seat, every heart. He longs to pour out his life and his love on you. And our hands in this posture of receiving essentially demonstrate our desire that God would do that. And so with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit. May love be rekindled in your life. Love for God. Love for neighbor. Love for family. Love for enemies. May love be kindled in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And may you give what you have received freely in Jesus Christ. I bless you all. And the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.